Hello, my lovely ones, and welcome to Mumming with Magli, the podcast for any mum who has absolutely no idea what the fuck she's doing. I'm Magli, your host, and I can confirm I have no idea what I'm doing. Join me every week as I try and tackle this parenting business, the ups and downs, and the many trials and tribulations. Other moms will also join us and share their story. Let's open up the conversation around the hardships of motherhood and all the pressure that comes with it. Hopefully, it'll make us all feel less alone in feeling lost and completely winging it. I know I am. Enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hi guys, welcome back onto the podcast. Magli here, and I have the wonderful Michelle with me today. Hi, Michelle. Hi, so happy to be here. <laughs> so for reference, Michelle and I went to uni together. Uni, drama school, what do you call it? I never know. I always say drama school, but then it, the qualifications from the uni, so yeah. let's say drama school. It makes us sound more interesting. Yeah, I think so too. That's exactly why I say drama school, but then I also worry that it comes across really wanky, like, oh, I went to drama school. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, it's like, and what have you been in since then? It's like, oh, I do, I, I, I do lots of things, but but I've not been in anything because I now have a different career. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I needed to live. <laughs> exactly oh my goodness how many weeks pregnant are you now um 37 and three days oh my goodness oh yeah so guys michelle isn't actually a mum yet but so close you're <laughs> 37 weeks and three days wow can i ask was it planned it was the biggest surprise of my life and I still, to this day, don't even know why I did a pregnancy test. Oh, my goodness. And it was just like, I sat on my work toilet with a pregnancy test I had stolen because I work in a hospital from work. And I sat there for a good 20 minutes going, oh, okay, this is real. And then I went and stole two more and did two more and still didn't believe it. Uh, were you happy? shocked so Mm -hmm. kind of just like a bit of like backstory to it I had um I tried I decided the year before that I was going to um you know I wasn't in a relationship and I decided that I was over 30 and we'd got to a point where I was like I want to try for a baby and I'm going to do this on my own so I went through fertility clinics I tried IUI for six months and um basically when I went and spoke to the facility clinic they said the only option I had was um IVF because sorry can I interrupt you quickly I don't know Mm -hmm. what IUI is so IUI is a fertility treatment similar so you take the medication the same as you do with IVF okay but the eggs aren't so with IVF they take the eggs out of you with IUI the eggs they scan to see that the eggs are in there um, and then they put the sperm into the egg and hope it meets whereas with IVF they take the eggs out the sperm meets in a container and then they put the fertilized egg back okay so it's kind of if you have infertility problems it's kind of the first one you would go to okay if that isn't successful, then they go to IVF. So okay. they'd said to me that I'd got narrowing of my tubes and there was a few other things. I'd been on mental health medication and they believed that had stopped my ovulation completely. And because I was on my own at the time, I didn't qualify for the NHS IVF route. So there's a specific route that you would go down. So had I been in a relationship, the medical, they had done all the tests and said, medically, you can't have a baby, like you would need IVF. But because I wasn't in a relationship, I didn't qualify. And they quoted me something like 6,800 for one month. And not surprisingly, I didn't have 6,800. Yeah. Um, 
so July last year, I just I received the news from them saying that it had gone to panel and they'd decided that they still couldn't fund it. Um, if I got into a relationship and was in it was a different situation, I could come back to them. The only option was private. So I kind of put the letter away, moved on with my life, was going back to do another master's degree, didn't think about baby, then began sort of a, a relationship with my best friend. He was aware that I wasn't able, you know, I wasn't able to have children without any kind of intervention. So obviously we just were like, who needs protection? And we'd been away to Wales for a weekend and I'd not drank in over a year because I was doing the fertility and I had a couple of drinks, probably a couple more than I realised because I was in the hot tub. And the next day I had a hangover from absolute cause. Like, this is why I don't drink. This is why mm-hmm. I haven't been drinking for over a year. But two days later, I still had the hangover and I was still being sick. Oh my goodness. And I was like... Hmm, I wonder. So when I went into work that morning, I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to get this stupid notion out of my head. And I took a pregnancy test. And then, like I said, I took two more. Wow. So yeah, shock of my life. Wow. Before you met your partner and obviously got pregnant, the IUI route that you took, was that, sorry, I'm not well versed at all in how it works. Do you just, did you choose, have to go through the rigmarole, for lack of a better word, of choosing a donor? You can do it one of two ways. You can either have a private donor who's somebody that you know who will have like the STI checks and stuff done, or you can basically pick off of like websites that is, for all intents and purposes, like a Facebook. Mm-hmm. Most of that is actually shipped from like Norway, Sweden type because it's in cryo banks over there and the facilities to hold it over there are a lot cheaper and it's, you can get them from here but it's far more expensive I was very lucky that over the years um you know I've predominantly been in relationships with women my plan was always looking forward that I would presume that I'd have been in a relationship with a woman having a child with a woman we had you know a few close family friends um, who have had their own children one of them had always said you know her and her partner would they have five children and she said well we've spoken and you know we would happily donate sperm to you as long as it went through a solicitor's and we had so I was fortunate in the fact that I didn't have to go down the route of finding the sperm, having it shipped, having it frozen. And I was able to do like what they call a live transfer. So it's you literally get it from the person and you use it fresh kind of thing within sort of the hour period. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. It is. It's really strange driving your car around me. Okay, I've got sperm in my hand. (laughs) I love that from all of that. That is your takeaway. Yeah, I mean, there was there was really weird moments where, you know, you kind of like go to the house to pick it up and because you can either have, so the way I did mine, which was slightly cheaper, so there's, there's two options. You can either get all the medication prescribed to you and the medication you take after your period, so you start taking it. One of the tablets increases the eggs that your body releases and one of the injections helps those grow so that you get more matured than you would on a normal cycle. The other injection releases the eggs at a specific time so you know exactly the the 12 hour window to get the donations you can then either have the sperm implanted in the hospital or once you know that the egg's been released you can do it at home and that's a good two thousand pound a month cheaper so that was the option i went with Okay, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to ask, can you paint me a picture of how you implement sperm at home into yourself? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can um, really long, really long um, syringes, like insemination syringes. They're really, really tight, like really, really thin, but really, really long. And you know when you have your smear test, you have a speculum. So you put one of those in and open it and then you put it in. And because of the length of it, in theory, you should know it gets past your cervix as long as it doesn't hit anything. So that's why it's slightly less accurate than having IVF. So IVF, you know it's going to be there. Yeah. And again, with the IUI, I could have had that done at the hospital and they do it with cameras and make sure that it gets into the cervix. For me, the reason I didn't pay the extra to have that done was because at this point, they kind of already told me that I got an arrow in of my fallopian tubes and they didn't yeah. think the eggs were coming through okay so it was like okay this was towards the end when they'd done a few more investigations and I was like I'm not gonna pay yeah, you know yeah. at that point we kind of decided that we needed further tests and that's when they said the IVF was the only route <laughs> sorry did you do yeah, it so yourself you... or did you have someone do it for you um, so I had a friend um very close friend but not in that way um who um works in like laboratories and stuff and was like oh yeah I'm great at these things you know I, I and I was like okay this is a bit weird but once you've done it the first time and it's just and because you're on such a time frame so yeah. you have to go and pick it up and then you have to use it within like 20 minutes after the first 15 20 minutes the sperm start to die and degrade so you kind of have to get it keep it in like a temperature controlled environment run home and kind of it's all set up and everything you know everything's sterilized so the kind of the awkwardness that you could imagine and what I I mean my anxiety is horrific I was like I can't do this I'm not gonna be able to go through with it <laughs> it kind of goes because you're on such a, a time frame and then it's kind of afterwards you're like this is so weird um <laughs> but yeah so I tried a couple like that after I so I tried first on my own and it hadn't worked and my friend was like, oh, I do these things all the time. Like, you know, I'll give you a hand. And I was like, that's a very strange thing to, to offer. But okay, let's give it a go. And um, like I said, it, it was unsuccessful. And I feel like now it's probably, it was meant because, you know, now I'm in a great position and having a baby naturally, massive shock. And how has pregnancy been for you? So it's kind of been a bit of a rough ride, but also more physical health than pregnancy. So the first kind of hurdle I got to was I did the normal contact in the GP, I'm pregnant. And the GP was like, where are you? You need to come in because he had my reports as well to say, you know, I needed IVF, my fallopian tubes. I was actually booked in on the 13th of December to have an operation to stretch my fallopian tubes. Wow. And I found out on the 21st of November. So when I rang and spoke to the receptionist and booked an appointment, the GP rang me back within an hour and was like, you need to come and get a referral form. You need to go and have a scan because the narrowing of your fallopian tubes, this could be ectopic. Okay. So the first hurdle was this ectopic pregnancy. We went and um, I took my cousin with me and I was just like... Can you remind me and the listeners what an ectopic pregnancy is because I feel like when I was pregnant I was so well versed in all of these pregnancy you know complications that could arise and now I've just forgotten everything because you know obviously I don't use it I don't have to think about it um yeah tell us so it's when the egg is fertilized but it's not fertilized in the womb so the egg is still in the fallopian tube oh yeah which means your pregnancy test you know your levels and everything go up you your body thinks it's pregnant it recognizes that there's a fertilized egg but as it starts to grow it's in the fallopian tube and if it's not caught they can actually burst because wow. the fallopian tube is so narrow so yeah that was the first hurdle we went through and within seconds I could see there was like a little flicker of something on the screen and I was like that's my womb we're in the right place yeah yeah and then I had a really bad reaction when I was about eight nine weeks 
hives that I've never seen before. Still don't know what I had an allergic reaction to. It was hives on top of hives that they were then worried was going to turn into like sepsis, but they couldn't control it with any antihistamines. So that was another trip to the hospital at like eight, nine weeks. Wow. I think I'd say the biggest thing which made my pregnancy a high risk pregnancy was you know, as you you know quite well, Megs, I've had on and off issues with my, my back and my spine after a car crash that happened about 15 years ago now. Um, but I went for my, my a routine MRI that I have every so many years just to see how it's getting on. And then I got a phone call to say from the rheumatology department who is who I'm under that they were really concerned because I was pregnant. And I was like, why would you be concerned? Yeah. And they didn't actually tell me. They asked me if I could go in for an appointment the following day. And it turns out that on my MRI, which I'd had eight months earlier and they hadn't rang me and given me the results, they had, um, my spine is like degenerating. And basically most of my thoracic spine is now sitting on my spinal cord. Oh my goodness. It took them eight months to give me these results. So that was me. I'd done a show in that time. I'd been at work in that time, you know, thinking, oh God, I've got a bad back. And then thinking, oh, it's not as bad as, you know, it's just taking taking some codeine here a bit yeah. of paracetamol every now and again and they were very concerned so that kind of shifted the care that I received massively so it kind of went from a yay this is a pregnancy that we weren't expecting to a okay this is now a high-risk pregnancy. Mm-hmm. How did that feel for you not just physically but mentally? Um, it was a lot I mean I remember I had the appointment with them and the first time I drove myself to this hospital because it was it was outside Coventry, I then had to drive back. Mm. Just so upset, I was just driving with like tears streaming down my face because I was just like, you get the miracle that you don't think you're ever going to get in life, and then you get told that your spine might not hold out. Wow. And I was like, they kind of asked me, you know, did I want to carry on with the pregnancy at this point? And I was, I got in the car and I'd gone to this rheumatology appointment just expecting them to be like, oh, you know, the bit of arthritis in your back's got a bit worse. The discs are degenerating a little bit. The normal stuff that's happened for the last sort of 10 years. And I actually drove to where Connor works and kind of was like, I just need to have my appointment. And he was like, what? Like, you know, it was such a shock for both of us. Um, And it was... It was really hard, but then it was kind of like, well, do you know what? We just take it day by day and as it as it comes. And to be honest, I'm now under a consultant and they thought by now I'd have had to have been induced. And they were planning as, you know, trying to get to 35 weeks and then looking at inducing just so my spine holds up. Wow. We're actually doing really, really well. So touch wood, we, I've got an appointment on Thursday. But I do think, you know, because I can tell pain wise, I do think my spine's holding out really well. It's so good. Just out of curiosity, going so back to your spine issues, just outside of your pregnancy, what does that look like for you, like long term? Will it continue to degenerate? Degenerate? Deteriorate, sorry. So yeah, it um it will continue. Um I'm due to have an operation on it, which so when I had the conversation with the rheumatologist and he was like, I can't believe you're pregnant, he was like, You're on a list for spinal surgery. And I was mm. like, I had my MRI and normally with the rheumatologist with um yearly MRIs, it's no news is good news. Uh-huh. So eight months down the line I hadn't heard from them, just thought you know, nothing about it, but they'd picked the results up and referred me to neurosurgery. So I've spoke to neurosurgery, but because I've been pregnant, there's been no point, of, they, there's nothing they can do. Um, so what it means is, is once baby is here, after a few weeks and the healing process of giving birth has kind of started, and then have another MRI to see how much damage the the pregnancy and labour has caused. Wow. And then from there, we work out kind of how imminent the surgery will be, which parts of the spine needs operated on. Wow. Uh, 
are you at all worried on, I mean, obviously birth is painful as much as hypnobirthing will make you believe that it's just, you know, oh, it's intense, fuck off. (laughs) It's painful. Are you, at the risk of putting it in your mind, if you're not, are you worried that the pain that you might feel on top of, you know, normal contractions in terms of your spine? Yes, but I'm kind of at a point. So when I first, like I said, went into this and they kind of said, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen. I was put under a consultant. It was, you're going to have to have a C-section if we get to full term. It's going to be really early. It was all this kind of, it's been decided for you. And actually my spine has held out really well because it's my thoracic spine. So it's kind of been, most of the damage is about like bra line. Mm-hmm. So the pregnancy hasn't, it has impacted it, but not as much as it would if it was lower down. Okay, yeah. So we're kind of at a point now, which we didn't think we'd get to, where they're saying the best thing to do would be to try and have a natural birth. I was going to ask you whether that is an option for you. So it wasn't up until about a month ago. Um, and now they're kind of saying that a natural birth, what it means is, if after I gave birth, my spine is really bad, they'd be able to do spinal surgery. Whereas if I have a C-section, and obviously I've been cut open, I can't be put on my front to have an operation on my back. Oh, yeah. So the hope is that my back continues to stay as well as it is. We try for a natural birth. They've even, as long as I agree to be on the consultant's ward and I agree to have an epidural put in, but not use it. So they're going to put the epidural cannula in, mm-hmm. but only use it if I have to have an emergency C-section. Okay. But they've said I can have, I can attempt a water birth. That's amazing. Because the anaesthetist, um, who is the one that's kind of coming up with my pain management plan, has said that actually any of the kind of like opioid drugs, anything other than kind of gas and air, he'd actually be concerned that I wouldn't feel mm. the damage I could potentially be doing. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, he said that it's a very different kind of water birth. It has to be at a set temperature. I'll tell you what those things are, because all I was hearing was water birth, water birth, water birth. And I'm like, (laughs) this sounds like a miracle conversation. Um, He seemed to know what he was talking about. So this is the plan. Like he said, it could go wrong. You know, we could get a couple of hours in and they might say, you know, your spine, we, 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 we can't continue. And, but then the epidural will be in. Mm-hmm. And so I can have a C-section, but be awake and it not end up being an emergency kind of under full anesthetic. Yeah. How will they be able to gauge whether your spine can handle a vaginal birth? honest I haven't got a clue at the moment they keep just asking me how I'm feeling um, and they keep telling me my spine's holding up really well kind of go in and they poke it and think because I don't jump across the room we, we go with it's it's okay and it, we, there's like a consultant and an ethotist and they kind of seem to gauge what that is um but I guess from a practical point of view it would be during contractions how my physical ups and baby's physical ups are doing so the more pain I'm in at the moment. So we've had a few scares while we've had to go in because baby's not been moving as much. So I think about six, seven months in when my body was really kind of changing shape and shifting, my back was actually at its worst. And at that point, the more pain I was in, baby wasn't moving. Mm. And when we were going in, baby's heart rate would be like super elevated. You know, we'd end up having to stay for a good few hours until it settled. So I think one of the key indicators for them is how baby's reacting to the pain that I'm in. Yeah, which makes sense. And are you hoping to not be induced or do you think you will have to be induced? I'm trying to not have a fixed plan of what I want because for so long I didn't have anything. 
fair enough. Personally, I would I would love to not be. I just think that there's a lot going on anyway. And if, if the birth comes naturally in my head, I mean, medically, it might not make sense. But in my head, I'm like, well, my body's then ready. Baby's then ready. So it should be a smoother process. Whereas if it's induced, I'm like, maybe my body wouldn't be ready and wouldn't, you know, and maybe that, that would cause more problems. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't really, you know, I think there's not enough kind of understanding of it with kind of a spinal situation for them to make a kind of informed decision. But... I got an appointment on Thursday um, where they're going to assess again and I'm praying that they don't say induce. I, I think the only time at the moment we're kind of looking at induced is if we start going over the um, the due date. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Have you got everything set up at home? Like bed and pram and... And you'd think that my answer to this would be absolutely, you know, we, we, we've got a high-risk pregnancy. We could be induced any day. Yes, everything is ready. So you're not ready. <laughs> so honestly no is my answer um and I kind of think for t- there's kind of like two big reasons for that one is that we've just bought a house together and the mortgage took longer than I mean I don't know why we thought it was going to run smoothly because these things never do especially when you're on a time scale mm-hmm. um so the house is kind of the nursery's been decorated just waiting for kind of carpets to go in our bedroom's functionable downstairs I mean we don't currently have a sofa um my kitchen's usable I guess that's a start so is the bathroom but no it's an absolute like everything's upside down but yeah so in short more ready than 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 I than I was probably about three days ago we had a baby shower on Sunday oh Um, congratulations thank you I mean I was not a sociable person the anxiety that being in a room with people causes me is unreal but my cousins really wanted to do it and I was like look it's first baby let's put a gift registry together because all my family wanted to get us stuff but kind of you know I was like let's buy you useful things not 20 onesies in, in newborn size yeah so I think now we've had the baby shower and now that kind of the pram and everything the prams in the house the the cots out for delivery like I think it's a bit more real yeah and I think for Connor as well I mean we got to a point where every time we were going to appointments they were like are your hospital bags ready me and him were like "Mm, no and you know the last appointment I had with my midwife she was like the hospital bags please tell me that they're in the car and I was like "Mm, no she was like they need to be so we kind of we half-heartedly put a hospital bag together but after the baby shower on Sunday, we got back about eight o'clock and Connor kind of came in the house and just went into like nesting mode. Mm. All of a sudden he was like unboxing things. And I was like, what's going on? And he was like, the baby's gonna could arrive any time. I was like, yeah. But yeah, so the last couple of days we've kind of tried to up that getting ready. But yeah. I mean, are you ever ready? No, I don't think that you are. And to be fair, um, I feel like I bought so much stuff for Isla before she was born that was just so fucking useless for like six months do you know what I mean and then loads of stuff that I just didn't think I would need and then all of a sudden I just haven't got it I remember what made it really real for me was the first this is so silly the first bag of nappies that I bought we went into Aldi I bought these nappies and I literally just started crying in the car like oh my god I'm actually gonna have to use one of these 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really strange what kind of makes it feel real because I have some days, and I mean, you know, luckily you're the only one that can see, but I, I am now very pregnant. And I have some days where even though I'm this pregnant and, you know, navigating getting out of bed and rolling off the side and things is becoming impossible, I still have days where I'm like, huh, oh yeah, I'm pregnant. Like, there's moments where I'll forget for a few hours. Yeah. Like, if I'm, you know, on my phone, I'm because I'm still going back to uni March next year, I've still got things that I need to do in the intro and stuff and this these periods of time where I just I don't forget that's that's a horrible thing to say but I'm preoccupied and then I'll just kind of like catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror or I'll go to get up and be like oh I can't get up like that anymore <laughs> and then I'll be like and you just have this little reminder and you're like oh yeah I am actually pregnant yeah um, and it feels really surreal because I never thought I would be able to say that sentence oh bless you I'm happy for you thank you um, do you feel good pregnant? You know, I really want to sit here and say, oh, do you know what? I had a really bad relationship with my body and now I'm so happy with this. You know, I really want to be one of those people that can say that, but not all of the time. I, mm. You know, I'm, I'm really honest in that. I'd, I'd put weight on before I fell pregnant and was in the process of losing it. And I kind of got down to a, a weight that I was comfortable with, but wasn't comfortable and kind of I've put that weight back on plus a bit more so there's definitely times in my head where I'm like my body's amazing and you know my little my bump's quite neat and I think actually it's conversational you know it's some days I get up and I'm really okay with it and like I said other days I kind of just forget that I'm pregnant for a little bit mm-hmm. but there's definitely and I and I think not that I'm putting the blame onto how my mental health is with it to anybody else but there's definitely other people's opinions that play a massive part about how I feel about me being pregnant and I think it comes from I don't think there's been a day in the last few months where somebody doesn't comment people don't just say oh my god congratulations it's oh you're so big or oh my god you're so small and I, I feel like you know I've never been a petite person and, you know I was always going to carry in a certain way and for me I actually I ha- haven't put on as much weight as they thought I would put on but everybody comments about whether you're big or small everybody has to it's like oh my god you look amazing look how big you've got or oh my god you're bigger than such and such who they know is pregnant or I was much smaller or you're smaller than I was and I'm like why are we not just like why is that still a focus I know exactly what you mean I I am quite petite and I didn't put on a lot of weight at all during my pregnancy I was literally all bump but so much so that from the back you couldn't tell that I was pregnant it's only when I turned around that people were like oh my god you're pregnant and I used to get that comment all the time saying you would never tell that you're pregnant and from their point of view they mean it as a compliment but I was fucking raging I was like I'm going through all of this and you can't even tell that I'm pregnant do you know what I mean? I think it. Yeah. So I really, really get where you're coming from. It's fucking annoying. <laughs> you know, people don't say to you, oh, how's your pregnancy going? It's all about what you look like. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, I, and most of the time it's meant with the most innocent, innocent mindset. And it's just I think what people's conversation around pregnancy is there's a, an expectation. And it's like, you know, I don't think my boobs have been commented on this much in a very long time but you know it's like oh I've actually got to the point where I think the last four months I've not worn a bra I've worn like a a crop top because Mm -hmm. the amount of people that just feel the need to just touch them or tell me they're just huge I'm like I I know I've got to carry them (laughs) it wouldn't be appropriate if I wasn't pregnant Yeah, yeah 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 it's so funny can you imagine going up to someone being like oh my gosh you look huge today 
when I say things like, oh, you know, because I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but people are like, oh, we think it's a boy because, you know, you've not put much weight on, your face hasn't put much weight on. And I'm like, even though they're saying something positive, all I hear is weight. Mm. And then all my head does is, is goes, oh, how much weight have we put on him? And, and that's not an anyone else problem. That's a me problem. And that stems from years of yo-yo, yo-yoing with my weight being underweight, overweight, every variation of in between, between muscular and not muscular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's, that is a me problem. But I'm like, it's that thing again. If I wasn't pregnant, uh-huh. we wouldn't be commenting. Uh-huh. And once baby is here, we're going to go back to not commenting because it's rude. But whilst there's a baby in there, it's completely okay to tell me how big my ass is or like comment on having thunder thighs, which actually it makes me laugh because I haven't put that much weight on my thighs. I just happen to have really big thighs. <laughs> these are just but, my thighs. They're not my pregnant thighs. They're just my all the time thighs. <laughs> yeah, these are just these are just here. But it's that thing of we wouldn't comment and it wouldn't be appropriate if I wasn't pregnant. And the other one that's really got me is I'm I can be tactile when I know people and when it's when I'm comfortable with that person to, you know, hug them and stuff. But for some reason, it doesn't matter how little, you know, somebody touch and bump is is a thing. I'm like, okay. And everyone's like, oh, is it going to move? Well, I really hope not, because I don't really want you as a stranger feeling my baby move, because that's something that's quite personal. That's really interesting. I'm very much a tactile person. Um, So personally, it didn't bother me, especially because I was pregnant during COVID. So as soon as people could touch me, I was like, touch me! (laughs) Validate my pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Fill me up all you want. <laughs> but right, at the risk <laughs> at the risk of comparing your body and your pregnancy to my dog, I don't like people touching my dog. And people just come up to your dog and just pet your dog. And I don't like it. He's a rescue. I'm not a hundred percent sure. He's very friendly with humans normally, but sometimes I don't know. Just ask me. Come slowly. Anyway, um, so <laughs> horrendous exactly the same I mean I no 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 I get this I also have a rescue dog and um he's a big bully type dog and luckily which is amazing for me as a person who doesn't like random people talking to them my dog has the opposite effect people don't want to come near my dog but I get it I get it because I know he's lovable and I know how you know friendly he is but his issue is other dogs and when people go oh my dog's friendly I'm like "Mm -hmm, mine is not so to be fair Magnus's issue is other dogs as well um what I don't like it's just for me it's just principle at the risk of sounding really petty it's just principle ask me is he friendly can I pet him of course you can I've never said no he loves it he loves it I'm not going to deny him that just out of principle like a little bit of a little bit of space you know (laughs) but this this concerns me because I'm like this over my dog who you know isn't isn't a tiny newborn thing that's fragile and is a little miracle to me this is over a huge dog that you know quite happily knocks me over and takes me for walks down the street he's he's quite huge I mean he's not as big as Magnus but he's just a ball of muscle mm-hmm. but I'm like I know I'm gonna have massive issues with boundaries and uh people doing this to my baby because for some reason a baby and a pram people feel that again we can touch them yeah I agree I really struggled I remember Isla was born on the 21st and my sister-in-law I mean I'm not married but for you know ease of conversation um she was turning 30 her birthday's on like the 29th or something so whatever the weekend around the 29th was I think it was a couple days after the 29th of September so Isla is a week just over a week old and 
Nana, my sister-in-law, she had a huge birthday party for her 30th, which I went to with Isla, with George. And it was kind of, we'd had like close family and stuff like that. But it was the first time that we were sort of like in public. And I remember Isla being passed around like a hot potato. And in hindsight, I feel angry at myself that I didn't just put my foot down and say, no, like stop passing my baby around. Like she's mine. I remember feeling so uncomfortable and so annoyed and so like conflicted because I'm I'm proud. I've just given birth to this child. Yes, I want to show her off, but I want to show her off in my arms. Like, oh, and I remember she got passed back to me and she smelled like someone's perfume. And I was so upset. I remember crying and crying because, oh, it's so hard. I struggled with setting boundaries as well. And in hindsight, I wish that I had been a little bit tougher and just, I honestly, I didn't even dare go back to people and be like, can I have my baby back? She's just being passed around this huge party. And for some reason, I literally, I didn't even dare go to people and say, can I have my own child back? It's ridiculous. Like literally off the back of what you've just said, you know, I messaged you earlier and was like, you know, right, I'm ready to come online, but I've just had a bit of a meltdown this morning. Mm-hmm. And this is what it was about. It was about boundaries. So as I said, I had a baby shower on Sunday um, and it seems really weird because we're sat having like a really open conversation, but I've got to nine months and it's nowhere on social media that myself and Connor are having a baby. And I kind of just took it for granted that because everybody knows that, you know, our relationship isn't on Facebook because of the jobs that we do. And Connor works in theatre with adults with kind of um, like learning disabilities, um, extra needs. We've worked there together as well. So I've, I've worked there as a professional actor kind of thing. We just haven't made it public. It's neither of us are on Facebook and things like that, that much. We kind of just have accounts we don't really post our life it's just not come up and then if you know a few months ago we kind of realized that we hadn't announced it and it's going to be really like for us it's just something really that we wanted to do was to just wait until baby was here and be like hey I was pregnant hey I had a baby oh hey here's here's the child (laughs) um and it's something and this is you know and I mean like talking about it now after I've had my meltdown it seems so trivial but after the baby shower close family members a couple of them had some posts up I was absolutely mortified because I was just like, it's no one else's place but ours to do this. And then I was annoyed at myself because I was like, these people are so excited and so in love with a baby that isn't here yet and is going to be welcomed into the most beautiful family on both sides. But in my head, I was like, this isn't the first time I've kind of had to have conversations about what I'm okay with. And the thing that I find hard is, is literally what you were saying is that so this morning I've had an absolute meltdown about this. And bar one of my friends who put a post up who I felt that I was close enough to that I could be like, look, I'm being irrational, could you take it down? I actually haven't said anything to family members because I don't want to offend people and I don't know how to approach it. But now, and since like nine o'clock this morning, I've been sat really upset about this idea of people are already being like, oh my God, we can't wait to have the baby. We can't wait to have them overnight. And I'm like, oh, you think you're having my baby? (laughs) And I can see their happiness. And, you know, for both sets of grandparents, this is first grandchild. I don't think either of our parents expected grandchild to even be an option at this point. And I can see the excitement and I can Mm. see this overwhelming love that comes with it. I'm like... I'm not sure I'm ready to have conversations where we're already talking hypothetically about my child not being with me. Mm. I suffer with really bad anxiety. And I'm also not, I don't know why, because, you know, as you can probably tell, I can sit and I can talk and you know me, Mike, I'm, I can be opinionated when I want to be, which is most of the time. But in situations like this, I really want to say something like you said that you're angry at yourself and want your child back. But 
I know I'm going to be that person sitting there crying on the inside. People will have overstepped boundaries and they're boundaries that they probably don't know are there because I'm too anxious to say something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is this has been my whole day today, this conversation with myself. And like Connor went to work this morning and was like, what's wrong? I was like, nothing, I'm fine. He was like, you're absolutely not fine. I was like, I am absolutely fine. It and he is. was like, do you want to talk about it? I was like, no, because it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. it was really dramatic. But I just... And it's that after feeling that you sit with. It's that why didn't I say no? Why didn't I just? I don't. And I'm. And I can tell in my own head that I'm going to struggle. It is really hard. It's something that I still struggle with now, and I've got better at setting boundaries. But I don't have an answer. <laughs> Good luck. It's that thing of like the last thing they want to do is make somebody feel like they've done something wrong when all they've done is love a child that isn't even here. I'm, I'm, I'm hypothetically mm-hmm. having anxiety about something that hasn't happened. Yeah. Just because people are having conversations about time they want to spend with a child that isn't here yet. And actually, by about four months, I might be like, oh, feel free, go. Yeah, that's, that's exactly moment, how I was. At the beginning, I was like, no, my baby. And then after four months, I was like, take her away. Someone, take her away. <laughs> and, and I'm sure I'm going to get to that point. But at the moment, the anxiety of sitting with you know like I said there's part of me that's still still every day if I haven't felt baby move or there's something I'm like oh my god it, it's it's not happening you know yeah I there's think... an old British wives tale sorry to there's no, an old no, British girl. wives tale about um having the pram in the house uh-huh. and apparently and I didn't know this because I didn't even know that it was a smaller size to baby things than not three but apparently if you have the pram in the house the baby might not come home it was like a whole big thing and I panicked for weeks because the pr- we'd ordered the pram and the pram was here yeah and it's like in my head I there's still a part of me that is so scared baby isn't going to come home not mm. because the pram's here but just my own anxiety of this like <laughs> you know this baby was literally wasn't supposed to be here yeah that I think a lot of it comes from that and that's what I'm going a bit like I'm just not prepared to have a thought process where the baby isn't attached to me yeah I think for me it's I'm I'm happy for my child not to be attached to me and to be with someone else as long as I decide so for example Hannah my sister-in-law she has Isla, every so often for us, will text her and say, are you free? We've got X, Y, Z, blah, blah. And she'll say, yeah, of course. Or I mean, if she's not got plans or if she's not working, she's a midwife. So, you know, her shift patterns can be all over the place. But anyway, however, I remember once. So obviously, because she has Isla every so often, she's got friends who have kids. They'll spend time together. So Isla has, you know, become friends with her friend's kids. And one of her friend's kids was having a birthday party. And Hannah texted me and was like, hey, her name's Ruby. She was like, Ruby celebrating her, I can't remember, third birthday or something. Me and Isla have got an invitation, wondering if I can take her there on Saturday. This was a few months ago. I was like, in my head... <laughs> In the end, I did say yes, but my instinct reaction was no. <laughs> like, Isla's not got any other plans. <laughs> Isla's calendar is free. <laughs> but it's because I wasn't taking the initiative. Do you know what I mean? It felt like it was because it was someone else dictating what Isla was doing, where she was going, who she was going to be with. I have no problem not being with my child as long as I'm dictating all of the terms. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of my anxiety has come from that because yeah. it's been kind of, in my head, I never had, I, I'm not the sort of person that's like, I need to do attachment parenting, I need to do all these things. And, you know, if that's somebody's choice, then that's, <laughs> you know, I, I, I completely understand why they would. But that's not, I've not come from this hard line of no one's touching my child, my child must be 
attached to me. But it's probably a control thing yeah. and probably just an anxiety thing. But being told, oh, you know, when you go back to uni, I'll have your, I'll have your child, etc. Or, you know, in a few weeks' time, baby will will stay with me. I'm like, will they? Yeah. <laughs> and actually, maybe in a few weeks' time, if I have a colicky baby and I've not slept for four days, I might be like singing your praises and handing you over my child. But it's that being told mm. and that kind of it's it's not even being told. That's that, that makes it sound like it's it's a definite it's people's assumption. Yeah. And it's the assumptions of things that might happen that wreak havoc with somebody like me who has anxiety. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about being a mum and actually having a baby and I know that obviously for you it's not been a linear journey in terms of getting pregnant but is there any part of you that is like I mean I can only imagine part of you is like fuck (laughs) but like what does that look like for you is there anything in particular that you're feeling a little bit nervous about outside of like assumptions and you know and other people like in yourself that potentially yeah it's like an internal battle and obstacle yeah and it's really strange I mean I think because I wanted it so much and then didn't think it was gonna happen and then I got pregnant and then I was like oh this is real Mm-hmm. And the one thing I, I mean, I say it all the time, it makes people laugh. Is, you know, and they go, Oh my God, are you really excited? No, no, I'm petrified. And I'm like, oh, but you must be excited. I'm like, I, To an extent, but I'm petrified. Mm. And it's that thing of, you know, I wanted it so much that I'm like, What if I fuck it up? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not likely to walk in the house and drop the baby on its head or something, but I mean, touch wood. But there is that part of me that's like, you don't get antenatal classes anymore. You're, you don't really get much support. I mean, I've had a lot of support about my back, but about becoming a parent, absolutely none. Nothing. About how you look after a child, absolutely none. You know, you've, I find myself scrolling on Instagram at night when I can't sleep and finding out random things like, you know, you shouldn't bath baby until the umbilical cord falls off. Didn't know this. I'm an only child. I've got godchildren, but I've, I haven't got siblings that have had children. I wake up with my mum. I'm like, did you know we can't actually bath baby until the umbilical? And he's like, good morning, cup of tea, what's happening? <laughs> And I feel like I've tried to read a lot, but I've got to a point where I'm, everything's conflicting. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an opinion and wants to tell you about what you should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a couple of months ago, I kind of just made this decision to stop trying to research because I was then like, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be perfect enough. I was looking at Instagram accounts of like these eco moms that were making all these decisions and empowered decisions. And there's a part of me when I, you know, when I was originally trying to get pregnant, there's this massive part of me that was like, I want to be this earth mom. I want to have a home bar. My child's only going to have this. <laughs> and I was like, we shall get real. You can't even like, can, you can't even iron your own top before you leave the house most mornings. Like, you are not the type of person who is going to make whole organic food all of the time. You are not going to make the right choices all of the time. Oh, you are oh going to snap. And you're going to have to be okay with that. Because yeah. if I try telling my, you know, and I look up to these Instagram accounts and people, I've got friends that are like, I look at them and I'm like, how do you do it? Like, how are you so put together and your kids so put together? And, you know, your, your lunch is just, how do you do these things? Because struggle without being pregnant to get out the house yeah, on yeah. time and to to remember to you know put the bins out on a day on a weekly basis so yeah there's this absolute fear in me that's like I've got to now do I've got to keep a thing alive 
that thing is my thing and I've not only got to keep it alive, I've got to nurture it and make the best decisions. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of think, like I said a couple of months ago, I got to a point where I was like, let's put the hypnobirthing books down. Let's put the what to expect books down. Let's just go with this. I'm not stupid. You know, I work in hospitals. I can keep people alive. So why am I so stressed about what other people are doing? It is so hard though, because I like to think that I'm also the type of person that is able to shut out the noise um i'm quite self-aware but sometimes the noise is so fucking loud especially when you're jacked up to hormones like you know you're just all over the place mentally emotionally hormones are flowing through you you just don't know your ass from your elbow and then all of a sudden you have to make decisions about this infant that i mean let's face it it's just a fucking lump (laughs) yeah it is hard to to shut out the noise but again I have no tips <laughs> good luck <laughs> that's it you know you just kind of roll with it um I mean I'm I'm on the hand where I'm like I am anxious about everything yet really disorganized because I'm so anxious or I'm so over organized if one thing goes wrong that I have a meltdown I've got no in between yeah and I've really been adjusting to that last few months with the house move and everything like that and, but then Connor on the other hand is the most laid-back person I genuinely have to ask him sometimes if he's even listening to me or in the room because something big to me is going on or you know when things with the mortgage weren't going like a hundred percent and I'm like he's gonna be here and like you know the due date's the 29th of july and and he's like okay but can we control it no let's do and i'm like how are you so okay i know but the problem is george is like that as well and the thing is don't get me wrong actually i think it's great because it balances me out because you know i'm i can be high strung as well (laughs) and opinionated as well but um also sometimes just fucking annoying (laughs) Like, get off your high horse, just pretend to be stressed, even just for me, even just to make me feel better. <laughs> Do you know, like I was saying, after the baby show, when we came home and it was like gone eight o'clock and we didn't go to bed till half twelve because Connor was like, we need to organise. That is the first time I think I have ever, even from like our friendship and our relationship, I've ever seen an ounce of him have a bit of urgency. Oh my gosh, I say that to George all the time. I'm like, can you get a fucking rocket up your ass? Like, why are you so slow at everything? He's like, oh, we've got time. Fuck off. Right. And it was, I, I can't I remember. So he was in the dining room and our dining room is basically where we put all our boxes. Mm-hmm. My wife got put in the dining room. And he was like manically like sorting things and was like, this needs to go to the loft. This is for the charity pile. This, and I, and I just sat in the living room for a moment and I had, I had my Moby, my dog next to me. And I was like, ah, he is human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a really split second, but there was just that moment of being like, Oh, he is, he, he's, he, he's there. I mean, he, he then, you know, he put some stuff away and the next morning he was back to just being really laid back. But he is a little bit more like this baby could arrive any time now. That is um, so funny. I'm exactly the same with George. If ever, he doesn't often get grumpy. And so, admittedly, if ever we row, it's definitely because I'm pissed off about something. And then the other day, he woke up, I don't know what happened, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he was so grumpy first thing in the morning. And the thing is, I felt smug. I was like, ooh, how the tables have turned. (laughs) I might be like this 99.9% of the time, but I'm so glad that this one moment happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) 
That is so funny. Um, and oh, I find myself so... like, you know, I, we message each other like, well, we're both at work and things like that. And sometimes I look through my messages and I'm like, I feel like for the last four days, all I've done is apologise because I've probably been grumpy or I've probably been really grouchy. Yeah. I'm like, why can't you be grouchy? And then I can, I can feel a bit like this is two ways. Because even when I like, there's been some days where I, you know, baby hasn't moved as much and probably more my anxiety than anything else. I've been like, oh, I think we should go to the hospital. And he's lovingly at 3am got out of bed and he has you know <laughs> driven to the hospital and he's sat and he's been really fucking patient and, he, and they and, you know we go and they find the heartbeat straight away and we sit on the thing and it's great and you know baby's there and it's it's one of those things where I know what he really wants to say is I fucking told you so <laughs> and he's been really patient with me he'll get up the next morning and then he'll go to work and I'm on maternity leave so you know I'm not get I'm not having to do that and even still he's not grumpy mm, no um, just like I frequently I'm like are you real like I think just just look at me tell me off tell yeah, me I'm being irrational I think the same about George to be fair because honestly the fucking shit that comes out of my mouth bored him sometimes <laughs> oh my gosh but it's just to be fair for me I mean not now in general we actually don't bicker a lot but during pregnancy and I mean even you know in the postpartum like it puts a stress on your relationship because it puts such a stress on you the you know the person carrying inevitably it affects you mentally emotionally physically you're only human you're bound to allow you know those emotions to what the fuck are you meant to do with them do you know what I mean like oh, you're, they're bound to exit your body somehow and unfortunately you know or fortunately but your partner's always there so they're bound to be projected towards him yeah it's really hard sometimes on a relationship to find like a balance but I think exactly the same to George honestly I'm like I I can't believe you're real <laughs> thank you thank you thank you yeah and, I mean, and that's the thing you know like you said we sit with it all day you're carrying the baby you sit with those anxieties you kind of you know and, and sometimes I feel really bad because he walks through the door and it's like I greet him at the door with, with whatever anxiety I've been carrying for the day no regard for the fact that he's been at work no yeah. regard for the fact that you know he probably wants to come in fuss the dog sit and have a drink and just avoid stress for 20 minutes yeah 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 and I literally I'm at the door like your dinner's ready but blah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I mean I think one of the greatest moments during this pregnancy it was when we were first moving into the house and we you know we were we had some stuff in the garden like we haven't done the garden but there were certain things that just needed cut back so that Moby was safe from thorns and things like that and um he'd gone outside with this huge big heavy bag of stuff that and I was like you know we need to put that in the garden bin and anyway I was carrying the most feeble little thing being like I'm helping them help <laughs> and I tripped and I stood on a snail and I absolutely broke my heart and he came running back from the front door through the hall through the kitchen because he could hear me sobbing and came and was like babe what's happened and I was going and I mean I was hissing Hysterical. Oh my goodness. And this man stood there and looked me in the eye with all sincerity and was like, oh my God, babe, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and there's oh me, God. like, I mean, he's like six foot something. So there's me, like, in his chest. 
I mean, sobbing. Absolutely sobbing. Left a wet patch. And he was like, it's okay. You know, it's really sad for the snail. These things happen. And went and moved the the, the remains of said snail. So I didn't feel so bad. And took me inside. And was like, let's have a cup of tea. And I was like, but I killed the snail. And and I was, I I don't think I've cried like that. This whole pregnancy. Other than (laughs) over this snail. And he held it together and held it together and it was only a few days later he was like do you know how hard that was it was a snail and he said to me he was like the only reason he was like a didn't piss myself laughing or b be like babe get a grip he was like because you were sobbing so much he was like i really ran out thinking that something had happened oh my god he was like i went to worst case scenario in my head about baby or something he was like the relief that it was a snail he was like, that's what held it together. And I mean, we have since laughed about it. But I don't know how he does that. Because in another situation, I'd have been like, if it was the other way around, I'd have been like, get a grip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking snail. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, I'm very lucky. He oh. is a very, very loving person who oh. deals with my shit. That is and doesn't so funny. say an awful lot about it. That is so funny. That is hands down, I think, one of the best pregnancy stories I have ever heard. Oh, my gosh. Um. Okay, I have one last question for you. Actually, I have two more questions. I'm going to ask my first question first. Will you come back on and after you've had baby, like settle? I'm not suggesting you come back on like three days postpartum. <laughs> whenever, whenever you feel like life is, you know, well, I don't know. I still don't feel like that. But you know what I mean? Because I would love to. I've never had anyone sort of have a bit of a before and after look. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like baby, like, you know what I mean? Why? Why are my words not coming out? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do, yeah. Because <laughs> we've had all this conversation. I'm like, this is how I'm going to feel. This is how it's going to go. And I could, I'm interested to come back and be able to actually say this. This is... Yeah. You know, I'll be like, you know, I didn't want anyone to have baby. Well, well, baby's staying somewhere. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I left baby at the police station. <laughs> In terms of, like, practically, because I know you said that you were, you know, worried that you might fuck it up. Like that's, you know, mentally, emotionally a feeling. Is there anything in terms of the practical day to day that you feel a little bit nervous about? What I mean is, for example, like feeding. I don't know if you know what you're going to try and do, whether breastfeeding or bottle feeding or like, I don't know, bedtime or physical recovery for you. Is there anything that you're most nervous about? what scares me the most? And the thing that I feel the least confident in is doing stuff with baby. So I'm like, you know, I work in a hospital. I have worked from mental health to general. I've worked with children, adolescents, you know. Can I change a nappy? Absolutely. Can I keep a baby alive? Yes. Can I do CPR on small children? Absolutely. Can I entertain a child when it's screaming? There is this really weird thing where I'm like, I see all my friends that have just had babies. I've got a few friends and they're kind of like putting their pictures up of these sensory cards and activities and all these groups they're going to. And I'm like, I haven't even thought about any of that. Mm. I'm like, okay. And it's that, what am I going to do in between the, the feeding, the nappy changing, the, the sleeping? Yeah. It's not something that I had thought about. I will say personally for me, obviously it's different for everyone. The newborn stages for the first like three, four months, 
it's surprising how you just you just hold them because they sort of personally you know we did a lot of contact sleeping etc etc so I was sort of with her all the time but then when I started to be able to put her down on the floor on a play mat you know and she would play on those whatever they're called and then even I would leave her in her little like rocking chair and then you know she started to sit up and then that's when I really struggled with exactly what you're saying I was like the fuck do I do with you <laughs> yeah like and I think me and Connor have had kind of different um kind of fears about this because I'm more so fears again he's so laid back he's not actually that worried but when we have had conversations and I've kind of been like please tell me that there's something you're worried about to make me feel normal and he's a bit like well you know how will I know if they're in well and how will I know what I'm supposed to do we're fine but when I say to him like well how do I entertain you mm-hmm. baby how do I know I'm doing the right things when do you start tummy time when he's like oh just you know we just know these things and I'm really glad that we're very opposite and in what we're what we're comfortable with and you know I'm 100% sure that I'm going to be the person that's like who comes in from work I'm like help the baby I, I just want to wash dishes it's all I want to mm-hmm. do is just wash dishes and he will sit for hours and read stories and do funny voices and you know I, and I know that he's got that in him to just know that instinctively but I'm such a solitary person I'm not I don't necessarily pick up cues very well from people when and like you know small children children and stuff and I mean I'm sure with my own child I'm gonna I'm gonna be like it's completely different and I know what I'm doing she says hoping that that's the case but yeah that's been one of my fears is like when do you start doing little activities when do you start with the black and white sensory cards like yeah it's it's a weird one because everyone always expects you to say well I'm worried that I'm not gonna be able to put a nappy on or I'm worried about bending the arm to get it in the sleep thing and I'm like well, once you've dressed fully grown adults that are fighting you like that's yeah, fine yeah 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 it's not something that I was worried about initially but it's something that is a challenge now that I'm in it for me as well so I really resonate with that mm. okay my last question is whether this is a physical tip or a mental, emotional tip for like mental well-being, I'll let you decide. But for anyone going through pregnancy with complications and potentially their high risk, what is your tip for them? I think it kind of probably ends up being a couple of tips, but I think the one thing I would say is trust your body and trust yourself. Because if I had gone off of what I was told, baby would already be here. The expectation was that we were going to have to get baby out. Um, we were going to have to do X, Y, and Z. It was going to have to be done in a certain way with certain medication. And very much, kind of as well, it's really helping advocate for, no, actually, baby's doing well. Mm. Still on the growth chart. Baby's not being, physical ups and heart rate and stuff isn't being affected by my pain levels. And we really just trusted that, you know, the body does amazing things. There are people giving birth in third world countries who don't know that they've got high risk pregnancies and they trust what's going to happen they trust in their body and I would say so many people put that trust into the medical profession and don't listen to how their own gut is is feeling and how their body is reacting and I think that's been one of the biggest things for me is like okay I didn't think my body was going to have a baby but not only is it having one it's kind of smashing being a high-risk pregnancy and doing its thing and doing it touch wood in the way it's supposed to yeah I'd say that's the biggest one and I think the second one would be from the mental health side of things and this is something that I've only recently kind of been able to take on board and it's that I tried so hard to be okay and I tried so so hard to be like this 
this bubble of I've had this miracle is happening I should always be happy I should always be grateful that I've got the most supportive partner and family where some days I was like actually I just feel like shit but I was so afraid to voice that and so afraid to say there are days when I feel like crap and it's not pregnancy hormones actually I'm anxious and what I don't need you to do is tell me that that's because I'm pregnant I want to be heard and I want you to listen and I think finding it in yourself to really say it's too much or I am feeling this and be able to challenge people when they say to you oh it's because you're pregnant and say actually no this is how I'm feeling mm-hmm. and I'm still navigating that yeah you know, I say this really confidently but I'm still navigating how to do that and how to advocate for myself but the more I've been doing it the more I've, I feel okay with myself the more I have conversations like today and we're, we're being really open and it's like okay this I feel like I've just left a part of the weight I was carrying this morning, you know, and I mean, I'm under the mental health midwifery team, which is a conversation for another day. But for the first few months, every time I saw them, I was so adamant. I was making lists of positive things to tell them about how well I was doing. Like their job is to help you. Mm -hmm. And I work in mental health. I'm a training mental health nurse. And I was still not going in there and saying, you know what, actually yesterday I just felt crap or I'm really overwhelmed with all this medical stuff and the uncertainty of not knowing how this pregnancy is going to go. I tried so hard to convince people that I was okay. For what? I don't know, because nobody needed me to be okay. Nobody expected me to be okay. And yet I made it a goal to just convince people that I wasn't struggling because I didn't want to be seen to be weak and I didn't want people to be like, oh, well, you know, you suffer with mental health and you're pregnant. Is this, you know, for some reason I thought that people were going to take me struggling with my mental health in the past and prejudge the fact that I was going to be a bad mum and I made this narrative up and so I spent so many months convincing people that I was fine yeah 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 ah Michelle thank you so so much for coming on and sharing your story and all of your ups and downs um I really hope you'll come back whenever you feel ready I will let you guide me I would love to hear um, how you're doing. I would love to. I feel like I've just had a free therapy session. So thanks. Oh, good. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. I'm sending you so much love. I'll speak to you soon. Massive love. Bye. Speak soon.